1: Sports Business Podcast, The Sportacast.
0: All right, Michael Spirito gave a little chuckle, and I always ask the guests to rate how Eben did in his little intro. Uh, Some of them are obvious. Some he rehearses. Some are just, you know, spur of the moment. I can see he gave that one a little thought. That was not spur of the moment. I could tell. Michael, how did he do?
2: That was written down, I can tell. Uh, yep. He practiced that off-camera even before we got on. Uh, we're going to give him a 9 out of 10. Um, he, he whoa, whoa, like, whoa, 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 no, whoa. Written down, rehearsed here. gets a 9? Nine? 9 out of 10. Um, he uh, he was skewing very much toward the, the Casey Kasem end of the spectrum <laughs> for uh, for, for those of you in, in, in my vintage and above uh, who might remember that name. but we we Scott just went to a Drake guy.
1: concert earlier this week. Uh-huh. So I figured I would interpolate uh-huh. some Rihanna to keep it in the family a little bit.
0: Absolutely. Like a diamond this guy. See, yeah, I can do that. Um, yeah, we, we actually have generational divides on the show when I say something. Or, or and he has no idea. What was the last one, Evan? And then we went outside and everybody. I it think was they blamed you for Rodney not Rodney
1: Dangerfield movie. Oh, like I said the a 80s. triple Lindy. I,
0: I I I made a reference to a triple Lindy, and he had no idea what I was talking about. Michael, please tell me you, you know you, the triple Lindy. You
2: have never seen Thank Back you. to School,
1: Evan. Thank, Thank you. I have not. Now, and here's the more <laughs> pertinent question
2: is uh, obviously that is very valuable IP in Hollywood. How have they not remade that one? They're remaking White Men Can't Jump. They're remaking Everything Under the Sun. When are we going to see Back to School remade? Uh, I mean, let's do it with back David to back Spade to and the crew,
0: because they have grown-ups, and then we can do it Back to School. And the best part of the movie, if I may, and we can get literary here, how great is it that Kurt Vonnegut plays himself?
2: It, it is absolutely outstanding uh, that, that, that Kurt plays himself. And, you know, Kurt, Kurt's a tough get. Uh, he, he's not... Quite Thomas Pynchon tough, but uh, but but he is a tough guy. So so kudos to the producers of Back to School to uh, to to get to get only him. on
0: the Sporticast do we start with Back to School with Michael Spirito, partner Sapphire Sport, uh, and we're talking about sports investment, tech ownership, at all. But Michael, w- let's get to the core. Of it all when we talk about Sapphire Sport and invest in sport, and we hear TMT all the time, and what what is the whole? What is the umbrella? Give me the hypothesis, the thesis. How do you classify what you do when we talk about investing in sport?
2: Well, first of all, let me, let me first say thank you uh, to the both of you for having me on today. Um, very much looking forward to, to this conversation. And this certainly isn't the first time we've chatted. The two of you in particular have been, been very kind to Sapphire Sports since we entered uh, this world of, of, of sport, media, entertainment, technology investing. Uh, five and a half years ago, you covered us right from the get-go you obviously covered our, our second fund launch uh, in january so um it's it's just great to you to introduce continue. us to the really good chicken at the nomad yeah. hotel if memory serves
1: <laughs> that is true yeah. Still <laughs> think no about that chicken they, sometimes yeah
2: no longer is the nomad restaurant <laughs> i know i know you know um no look in 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 terms of how how we look at the category you know maybe maybe let's let's start with this you know for us the word sport is, is a bit of a misnomer. Um, Evan, I think, you know, your, your Rihanna prelude uh, aside and, and the alliteration of Sapphire Sport uh, aside, we look at it as as more of a backdrop. And for us, it's it's the just general category, right? Sport, entertainment, media, culture. How are people spending their time? Where are people spending their money? How deep are they willing to go with brands and, and sort of build that relationship uh, across all those, those uh, um avenues. It's, it's community building. It is, it is communication. Obviously, it's consumption of, uh, of media, uh, of, of, of whatever these brands have to offer. But we are technology investors in this realm, right? So when we look at the category overall, when we built this firm and launched it five and a half years ago, it was with an angle toward understanding what technologies were coming in to the greater trillion plus dollar ecosystem of sport and entertainment globally, and how they might um, advance these areas, or how they could potentially be forces of disruption, right? And as we look at what happened in music, what happened in print media, what we're looking at right now in this era of increasing valuations on the team side, increasing valuations on the media side, um, you know, how unabated will those continue? How will technology serve as uh, a factor to enable uh, the industry to continue to rise, right? Well, and let, me, let me ask that one question,
0: though, if I may, because it's on the tip of everybody's tongue is in this yeah. industry. Uh, uh, you said it. Let me ask it in, in a flip in the question. How unabated will they continue?
2: Well, I think look at investment in the space, right? And to get, to get back to the brass tacks of this question, it's not just us as, as Sapphire scored a 300 million AUM uh, uh, originator in the early stage technology asset class. It's Arctos, who's built the firm over the past half decade. It's what Redbird's doing. It's uh, what City Football Group has been doing for a decade plus on the team ownership side. It is, you know, look at private equity, look at sovereign wealth, look at everyone who's coming into this broader asset category of sport. It's probably been the best performing asset class globally over the past half decade. Uh, Market disruptions aside, um, there's scarcity. uh, There's a visceral need for people to connect and build those communities around these brands and these assets. So, you know, we're looking at uh, uh, an opportunity here that continues as to how unabated it will be. Again, that's for the market forces to decide, but we've seen in a lot of cases, Scott, the professionalization in every part of this realm, from early-stage technology to mid-stage growth to private equity all the way up to team ownership uh, um, and other media rights ownership, obviously, with private equity getting involved in, 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 in that category. When people invest in these categories, they're underwriting to a certain return, right? So it's not the case where you're looking at, okay, this is a flash in the pan. You know, this is something that... Uh, um, you know, hasn't been thoroughly researched. We're looking at a massive market opportunity that's being professionalized and invested against in a very, very meaningful way.
1: Almost every guest we have on this show, we end up talking about the way in which young fans, Gen Z, younger God, we work so well together. I, w- I was
0: thinking about like my kid, and as you're as you're talking, <laughs> I'm like, which kids is he one. talking to? Which focus groups of one under the age of fifteen is Michael speaking to? That's what I wanted to and, know. And Michael perfectly I, comes in.
1: I think about your portfolio companies like Green Park, uh, like Overtime, as as being particularly aimed at. The the way in which uh, younger people are consuming sports now d- does that mean you also have a longer time horizon when you think about the the return on some of your investments um, or, or am I overthinking that?
2: As a venture firm in, in general, Evan, we are looking at a seven to ten year time horizon. Right, that okay. is uh, what we underwrite. That is what our LPs um, have come to invest in us for, come to know us for, in general, the asset classes looking over a 7- to 10-year time. For and, and for
0: those who are not familiar with the industry, yeah. why don't yeah. you tell us what a good return would be over that time frame?
2: Uh, obviously, nothing is uh, set in stone, Scott, and we do not promise <laughs> anything to any of our – this is all the disclaimers, of course, in our – Of <laughs> course, of course. <laughs> In general, venture will underwrite to a, a three to five x. Private equity will underwrite to a two to three x. Uh, your later stage asset classes might underwrite to you know something hovering around a two. Um, but what we're trying to do, as again, we consider ourselves more more investors than venture capitalists. And I think the structure of how we put this firm together, and, and no one knows better than the two of you, haven't covered us from the beginning, is we have stakeholders across every part of the trillion dollar sport, media, and entertainment ecosystem, from team ownership across North America and all six major US leagues, to folks like City Football Group, obviously operators of, of clubs around the world, other European uh, uh, um, operators, uh, media companies, brands and merchandisers like Adidas, financial institutions, et cetera. So the group that we put together is very much thinking about it from the point of view of, as this industry continues to grow and evolve, what we're underwriting is of course venture return, but we're also underwriting the building of businesses and companies that can be long-term sustainable in this ecosystem. So to get to the, the crux of that, Evan, is yeah, we think quite a bit about Gen Z, Gen Alpha, which is a new one, Scott, that you'll be you'll be hearing more. young, young. look, the, the fact is young people are doing things differently. And and the, the core of what a company like Overtime has built over the past six years is really speaking to that audience. So when you look at having two kids drafted in the top five of the NBA draft four weeks ago out of Overtime Elite, it wasn't, that was the most recent result of a company being consistently two to three steps ahead. And what Dan, Zach, and Farzine have done over the past six years is create product and build under a brand that is speaking to these generations. Speaking to them fluently, speaking to them in the language in which they speak, uh, not speaking down to them, uh, offering other brands and partners the opportunity to be participatory in this ecosystem and this economy, which didn't exist a half decade ago, right? So the the ability to build a company and a business um, in this realm by meeting gen z and gen alpha where they are where they live and where they are transacting where they are communicating and where they're building communities is elemental right and if we get back to just look at the media ecosystem where i came from before um you know before getting sapphire sport going we saw the underpinnings of subscriber atrophy and the uh the devaluation of the pay TV media ecosystem as far back as 2013, 2014. It was there. It was within a rounding error on, on subscriber atrophy into pay TV. That was Gen Z cutting the cord. That was Gen Z not ever getting the pay TV package that my generation and the generations around me were getting, right? Those seeds were germinated a long time ago. Michael, right, so, you
0: listen to the show so you know I'm a bundle loyalist. I, I, I saw I always saw great value in the cable bundle in that yeah I, you know what if I want HGTV if I want to see Garden if I want to see A&E if I want to see documentary of course the sport is part of it but I'm not so sure I was wrong I think people may boomerang right back to I can't keep I can't have Hulu I can't have this plus this this, uh, this, this other streaming network I can't aggregate them all because then I'm paying then I'm more than I did for the bundle you might well, have to wait a week or two to see Game of Thrones or something, but that's okay. I'm fine with that.
2: With the most recent pricing increases, you will probably find um, that our generation is paying more. Um, the generation that is buying exactly what they want is probably paying less than where the cable bundle got to in sort of its, its uh, um, last legs, right, before everything really sort of busted apart. But it was a good value for that period of time. It it absolutely was. But people want choice. People want the ability to click on and click off what they want to watch when they want to watch it. So we're living in this world, whether we like it or not. And the ability to go to a Hulu, as you said, Scott, to go to a YouTube TV, to go to a Sling and still get some semblance of the bundle while bolting on some of these services, the Aggregate offering may look different a year, two years, three years from now. Sport, I think, will be a big part of that. And I think we're, we're all waiting to see where the Amazons, the Apples, et cetera, of the world are going to end up uh, in sport. We already know what they're starting to do with Apple and MLS. Amazon, obviously, a partner um, to OTE and overtime streaming, as well as other uh, um, sport properties. We're seeing some of which, you know, s- some of their chess moves. But... You know, we're gonna also be in a world in which people are gonna be able to pick and have choice in, in what they want. And again, the the seeds were were germinated a decade ago uh, in terms of where the market was going. We, as as humble early stage technology investors, are just trying to spot those trends, Evan, and and be as ahead of them as we could possibly be.
1: Along those lines, going back to overtime, I, I'm fascinated by the the, the move from media company using other people's IP to being a media company that has its own IP in sports with, with Overtime Elite and what they're doing in boxing and, and, and in football and I'm sure other sports as well moving forward and in some ways it's it's not a new idea the, the Tour de France which is my favorite sporting event uh, on the calendar was started in the 1910s by a newspaper that was losing subscribers and realized that, oh, if we if we own our own sporting event and, and we have access in it, uh, that, 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 that's a flywheel that spins off a lot of other really great business opportunities. But I'd, I'd love to hear from you if you think that this is... More of a future in media. If, if if you think we'll see more of the streaming media companies, other other uh, that, that that look at this, and, and Turner and the match, I guess, is maybe another mm-hmm. example. If, if creating their own IP is more of a future in the sports media world. Well,
2: I'll I'll start by saying it's it's very difficult. Uh, if it were <laughs> easy to do, more people yeah. would would do it. And the overtime example is. Again, born of a brand that connected with an entire generation of young consumers in that sort of low-hanging fruit realm, right? So, the first couple of years of overtime obviously distributed content uh, uh, without attachment to uh, to obviously the media rights ecosystem, which is critical uh, to be able to build that infrastructure of content creation and that flywheel uh, of interaction with um, you know with the users on those platforms to be able to build that community under which you can then put pieces of IP should that uh, opportunity arise. And Overtime Elite was was really born in in 2018 and 2019. This was a a piece of IP that Dan, Zach, and Farzine had been thinking about for a very long time. Uh, They did an activation in Brooklyn, um, I believe it was the summer uh, or spring of 2019 with a bunch of young uh, uh, players who could have become Overtime Elite players or prospects uh, at the right time. Uh, It was a media property out of which we streamed, I think it was two or three hundred million video views coming out of that weekend alone. Um, COVID hit the following year, so that would have been March of 2020. We put the project on the shelf uh, for a period of time. We underwent uh, what was a difficult fundraising. And when you want to think about, you know, again, charting two or three steps ahead to get the company financed under its existing media business model in that summer of 2020, Um, was really the moment of of looking at everyone in the mirror and saying, you know what, we have something that's working here. We have this connectivity with this young group of users that if we use that pop-up that we did in Brooklyn the year before as a model for what could become a piece of IP, a professional basketball league that is serving this underserved community of 16 to 19-year-olds who should be paid for their work, who should be able to earn money and be better prepared to go to the NBA. Those seeds were put together and sown in that summer of 2020. And again, being two or three steps ahead, standing that piece of IP up took some time. It took another fundraise, the Series C. It took us uh, building a building in Atlanta to be able to do that. Uh, it took the recruitment uh, on behalf of Dan and the team to put together the first crop of overtime elite players, uh, the recruitment of, of folks or kids like the, the Thompsons, who, again, they, they were ranked 70th in their class before they came to Overtime Elite. They went four and five in the draft four weeks ago. There's a lot that has to go into standing that piece of IP up, but once you get there, Evan, you, you own it. You have the ability to, to st- have a streaming partner like Amazon, you have the ability to take that, those learnings and create another piece of IP, OT7, to create the boxing product that's gonna launch next weekend uh, in Atlanta and to basically control your own destiny with respect to, hey, we have this global audience of plus or minus 100 million people that know us, that know our brand. What they, what can we do under that that is a step to three steps ahead of where the industry's going?
0: Yeah, we don't know anything about creating a brand at this place. Nope, nope, <laughs> nothing, nope. But I, you, I or how hard something. it is, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I love what you just uttered, though. gave me an idea for every time we talk to VC, private equity, whatever, I'd like to include a section now that is labeled, it took. Mm-hmm. It, it took one, it took, t- it took this, it took this, it took that to get to here. And sometimes the took never takes, and, and, and that's okay. Uh, We're chatting with Michael Spirito, partner of Sapphire Sport. Michael, you mentioned fundraising. I'm just curious, every, you know, lots of folks are out there. You mentioned all the firms that are you know, operating in a similar space. H- how is the fundraise these days? What are the roadshows like? Uh, are, are people handing it over easily? Is it difficult? How How is the roadshow these days?
2: Let me talk about that in, in, in two ways, right? There There's the fundraise, because again, we, you know, my, my, my partner and co-founder, Doug and I, um, we both have operating history. We founded our firm, just as the founders that were trying to get to take our money.
0: Critical our part firm, of the resume. But I'm hearing that a lot, by the way. I'm sorry it, to interrupt, but I'm hearing it, that a lot now. People love operational expertise.
2: It, as company builders, you know, to have seen a few things, I think is enormously helpful when you are building a company alongside um, folks like Overtime, folks like Ari and the team at Fibo, folks like uh, uh, John and, and Corey and everyone at MixHalo. When you're building, when you're in the trenches with these folks, the fact that I have my operating history from the S yes Network over the course of a decade, building that business, ultimately selling that business, going through all the trials and tribulations of that build, I think it's enormously impactful to the founders and management teams that you're working with as an investor, just as is every other piece of the service model is that you offer. Help with hiring, help with introductions, uh, um, obviously the the fundraising and sitting on boards and everything that goes along with that. I think the actual nuts and bolts of the build, but also managing through cycles. So Scott, you touched on something very important is we're going through a cycle right now. We're about 14 months, 15 months into a fairly significant downturn in uh, ease of capital or difficulty of capital um, on both ends, by the way. It's not just the funds that are raising capital. And if I could just maybe start with that, you know, we closed our fund in a, in a period of time in which some was before the downturn, some was during, some was after. We are very... Um, thrilled that we have most of our, our investors from fund one joined us in fund two. Uh, we have a number of, of fantastic new folks, whether it's MSG or Arctos or Steve Pagliuca or Steve Kaplan, Dave Blitzer, who joined us for fund two. You know, these are folks that, that we're thrilled to add to our group. But fundraising itself for our side of the table also takes longer, right? So when you look at where capital is, that cycle of fundraising has taken longer, but never has there been more capital in the ecosystem, Right. So if we look even just at our world with sport entertainment media as a backdrop, there are more firms, there's more professionalization across every category from us, from seed to A to B, to the the mid-stage growth, to the later stage growth, to the more public and team uh, uh, investment-oriented folks, right? On the other side of the table, with respect to founders, that period of time that it takes to raise a round from beginning to end is also much longer. Um, It is... uh, a much more difficult process right now than it, than it was um, really. I mean, we had an unabated bull market for a decade, and that continued into early 2022. People thought COVID was going to be a reset or re- recalibration. That was just a blip. Things got even even more hot you know, for another period of a year and a half. So that ability um, as a founder to take stock of that to to know that that process is going to take longer, to know that there's going to be a very significant um, look at or calibration on valuation, to have the temerity to say, maybe I don't need to raise as much money as I thought. Maybe I need to think about it in this way. But the brass tacks of what happens there is you can build a better business, right? So we look across the table and we see, okay, the best companies can and in a lot of cases should be built when the times are most difficult we look at you know 2001 we look at 2008 2009 we look at you know this period of time right now 2023 we think this is going to go well into 2024 the best operators are going to think about it as an opportunity to get better to think about their cost structure to get to revenue more quickly improve out that product market fit that's absolutely critical um and they will essentially look at this mar- market as an opportunity to forge a better culture, a better business, and a better long-term value.
0: I think he's listening in on our meetings. That's what I think, <laughs> Evan. I don't know.
1: I, one of the things I was going to ask, and you touched on it there, I keep hearing from founders, it's a really tough time to raise money. What advice do you have for, for them right now? If you're out there looking to raise a Series B, a Series C, um, what's breaking through in your conversations? What, what advice do you have for people who are in this tough market trying to do that?
2: Um, longer answer, but good thing we have time, Evan. Um, this is different for, for different parts of the, um, uh, of the industry. If you are a seed stage company, um, the requirements for product market fit for revenue-proof um, even in some cases for product build, are less. Now, there are still the tough questions for, uh, um, for, those, uh, for those categories. But if you're raising, say, your first institutional or professional round after your angel or friend, friends and family round, there's certain thresholds below which you don't really go, right? Like valuations aren't all of a sudden going to be like, Five million pre money for you know X, Y, or Z. If you're a credible founding group with a substantially good idea for a product or a service in a market that is significantly large enough for venture capital investment, by the way, not everything is venture or should be venture capital backable, right? You can get out of Uh, uh, neutral and build a profitable business without taking venture capital money. Like that's, again, I'm probably arguing against myself here, but in a lot of cases that may be the best way to to prove out what you need to do in the early stages and get to a better point with two or three million dollars of angel or friends and family money, right? But when you get to the point of series A, series B, the questions and the diligence is much more resolute in as much as what people um, on my side of the table are looking for from the point of view of product market fit and revenue, right? So there ends up being a little bit of a funding gap, quite frankly, when you get to series B and series C, where um, founders, uh, management teams are trying to get through this difficult fallow period with as little need to raise capital as possible, or if they have to raise capital, maybe it's a topping off of a round or doing a convertible note or a safe kind of in the, in the, in the, medium term to get the business right to the point where they can raise a price series B or series C. So there's a little bit of a funding gap in that realm, but the earlier stages that you go, it's not that big of a fall off in terms of what we're seeing pre money valuation wise, uh, the types of companies that are getting uh, back to that stage and ultimately the amount of capital that's being taken in.
0: One of the best things about being in the position that Evan and I are in is we get the chance to ask you questions or people in the industry questions that we hear all the time. Like people will come to, they'll shoot us emails. I'm, I get questions on LinkedIn and that. But you're here, and a question that I have gotten a lot in the last couple of months is, "Hey Scott, what happened over at Buzzer?" And I ask you, Michael, what happened over at Buzzer? It's, it's
2: unfortunate. Um, the reality of the situation is, is these things happen in the early stages. Not every yep. company gets to the point. Um, where we see the coming to fruition of what uh, the idea was and and what was uh, originally um, backed. And in this period of time, and I think that's a a good following on of what we were just talking about, the need to prove out revenue, the need to to get to a point where um, you sort of have that escape velocity is so much more under the microscope, right? So, you know, Buzzer um, got to a point where the, you know, the need to raise more money, right? The raise, 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 spend, spend, spend uh, um, type of of market. That that goes under your... It was no longer longer there. A pivot happened. Um, It got to the point where um, a wind down while, uh, you know, while extremely unfortunate, um, happened at the point where... The revenue, the the, the the business just wasn't where the market needed it to be, and it's extremely unfortunate. It's unfortunate, obviously, for the employees first and foremost, uh, for the management team, obviously, for the investors that were involved, and it's the sort of thing where you can't can't win all of them. Um, we we love the idea, we loved you know what what the market opportunity was, and you know the learnings that we and others involved that will you know will will take from this is um, you know what you need to do to sort of get to the brass tacks and the fundamentals of it can't just be about the fundraise it can't just be about um, what the market dynamics are the nuts and bolts of of getting to revenue getting to the point in which you can sort of prove out that business case or, or, you know, happening much more quickly. And you kind of get to that fundraising gap, Evan, that, that, that we talked about and yeah, yeah, it's just, uh, it's, it's unfortunate. And, you know, we'll, we'll take those lessons and and learn from
1: them. I want to ask also about, you mentioned sovereign wealth at the beginning and I know city football group is is part of your investor group. and, And that's, uh, part of that is funding from the Emirati government. Um, we're seeing in, in the soccer player market, we're seeing in the franchise investing market, huge pools of capital from, from overseas sovereign wealth funds starting to come into the market. Um, are you seeing that also in the, in the types of companies you're investing in? How, how do you think, if at all, the, the, the move of sovereign wealth into global sports is going to affect the, the type of companies that, that, that you are talking so intently with?
2: We're a little early. Um, for that, Eben, and I, I'd also like to, to touch on what you just mentioned. Obviously, the UAE um, via City Football Group and Manchester City and, and obviously are, are, are great partners of ours and have been from the beginning. So with respect to early stage investing, uh, you know, might say you very accurately could say that they've been ahead of the game in terms of being our partners um, from the beginning. And it's been a fantastic partnership um, from the beginning. What you're seeing overall... Uh, What we're all seeing um should not be shocking in any way shape or form this category uh while having been sexy and trophy oriented in its nature over the course of many decades has proven itself to be a money maker and something that has been unimpeachable over the past half decade in terms of what the real asset value is what these things trade at and what the liquidity uh is um and and will continue to be uh into the future so the fact that, again, professionalization across the later stages of, of sport investing has happened should not be shocking. If you look at the folks who have been buying teams, i mean, look at Josh with Washington, right? Josh is a private equity guy, right? Look, look at Dave Blitzer. Um, you know, look at Steve Pagliuca. These are, these are late stage investors at the highest level, at the fund level, um, who have been individually buying teams over the course of two decades, three decades now right so the professionalization in those later stages should not be shocking in any way shape or form and when you look at sovereign it's not just middle east it's norway it's tomasek it's canada you know the, the middle east is not the only region with multi hundred billion dollar funds that's looking to invest in sport hey ontario Obviously,
0: teachers owned uh, maple leaf sports and entertainment for a while till they got out yes, let's not did. forget
2: yes they did these these are folks with massive war chests who look at this not just as a sexy trophy-laden category to park some money. This is, ne- this is a moneymaker, right? So, yes, uh, the Saudis with, with uh, uh, um, golf are, are getting a lot of attention. Obviously, the, the ownership-oriented um, structures in uh, professional uh, soccer, football in Europe uh, are getting a lot of attention. But there is massive wealth out there across the sovereign category that is professionalizing their approach here. Um, they are showing up a little bit in, in sort of the mid stages. We don't see it as much in the early stages. Nor, quite frankly, should should we. Hundred plus billion dollar uh, uh, funds maybe shouldn't be investing in in five ten million dollar early stage entities. They should be marking those. They should be looking at where the big outcome potential might be and tracking those for for potential later stage. And that's kind of how we're seeing it uh, uh, for the most part. But. Uh, it's that again. The, the macro here is it's it's not, nor should it be, shocking that that part of the financial ecosystem would want to be participatory in this in this category.
0: When, yeah, when you talk about the professionalism of it all, and I mean that's why we have our Invest in Sports event. I mean it's self promotional, but you know we we are bringing together all the folks we're we're talking about here, whether it's Blitzer, the Haslam's, Jerry Cardinal, Doc O'Connor, Colin Neville, at Rain. We're bringing them all together in October, sponsored by Proscar and Inner Circle Sports. Okay. Um, to discuss all these things. This this is what we want to discuss, the professionalization of, we used to say college sport, right? That was like, that's what always followed, the the professionalization of college sport, the professionalization of sport investing. That's where we are. But it's
2: also the integration of it all, right? You mentioned, uh, several of the folks you mentioned are are LPs in our fund. We we, we co-invest with these folks, uh, even at the early stages, in some cases at the point of investment, right? This is an ecosystem that, there's a lot of capital uh, to put to work here, but it's an ecosystem that knows each other very well. It's an ecosystem that has invested across multiple categories and and uh, um, structures within within global sport and entertainment. And there's a lot to be learned and leveraged across the various areas of expertise by the, by those folks. So it's no um, again it, it's no mystery as to why so much professional capital. And so many smart individuals have created uh, uh, businesses and brands around where these opportunities are.
0: We used to talk with owners all the time about bringing on limited partners. And it was, I mean, when would you say the, the shift was made? It used to be just about the cash. Okay, I'll pay you X for 1%, 2%, 5%, whatever it was. Somewhere along the line, the money was a given. Everybody had to come with the cash. Then it was sort of this interview process what else are you bringing to the table? What's the synergies? What's your core business? What's your expertise? How do you fit into this ownership group that's interested in technology, real estate, communications, finance? It's The money's just not enough anymore. There's a lot of sort of a, what else do you got? What else do you got that can help us out?
1: I assume that's also true in, in, in the stages that you're investing in, Michael, right? There's I'm sure there are companies that you want to give money to that have options from a number of different, different funds and... and what sapphire sport brings in addition to a a check is i would imagine the thing that separates you from from some of your competitors and some of the deals that you do paper
2: well we're only you know we're only as good as is the value that that we provide and and the advice that we can give and the doors that we can open and our ability to again get in the trenches and build with a founding team our reference ability is is our is our gold standard and quite frankly the only thing upon which we can hang our hat because the ability to work with a, a founding team and build a great business and, and hopefully supercharge an outcome because of what we bring to the table is is what we're all about. I mean, look at, we had a, a we had a company um, in the portfolio. Uh, the company's called On Life. Uh, their product, uh, you, may, you may know and be more familiar with, it's called Aglet. It's a free-to-play sneaker game. Uh, for lack of a better word, Pokemon Go for sneakers and, and, and goods. But as Root, it's a spatial commerce company. They have 4 million users globally. Um, they essentially are a spatial commuting company. And I know we're, we're 42 minutes in and we haven't talked about AI yet. So, so let me get to the, the requisite uh, 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 AI dialogue. This is a company that is providing uh, its users an opportunity to interact with each other to interact with this this hybrid virtual physical realm. And they just launched a partnership with Manchester City uh, five days ago. It went live in Japan on Manchester City's Japan tour, uh, which they'll be playing their second game, I believe, tomorrow night um, on that tour. And in conjunction with Manchester City and their great partner, Puma, uh, On Life Aglet has this this uh, um, integration into their game where people can go to physical locations and get limited edition goods. People can interact with other Manchester City fans within the gameplay. People can essentially be on the map of of this, this game and have this virtual representation of themselves but also interact with physical goods and get these limited edition drops and get to the point in the physical location of Japan where they can essentially unlock uh, um, these uh, these goods. So, the ability to to provide that sort of exposure to an early stage company, we think, is enormously valuable. And at the end of the day, Evan, we're selling um, ourselves as, as company builders. We're selling our, our LP group. We're selling the other companies that we've been working with and help build. And that's you know that that's all we can do.
1: And that'll have to appeal
0: helped. to Evan, the the member, the treasure hunter, Evan the treasure <laughs> hunter. That has to really
1: appeal to him. It does. Yeah. It does. And, and Michael, how, how do you how do you balance the LPs' time? Obviously, you're not going to take everything to MSG's an investor. You're not going to take everything to Jim Dolan. You can't waste David Blitzer's time every time you want to ask a question. How, how do you know, or how do you balance? You know, when to take to which LP, when to really use this specific person who has a really specific expertise in, in this thing that one of your portfolio company is doing. How do you balance those things?
0: Yeah, is that written into the contract when they join, when they, when they put money? It's like, you can email me three times a year.
2: <laughs> <laughs> it, 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 it is not. But Scott, Evan, as you know, we've been doing this for, for six years. This is, this is literally what we do. Um, it's not a massive group. Uh, it's, a, it's an intentionally constructed group, and they are interested in the same things that we're interested in, right? Where the dialogue goes and, and kind of how our report works is it's as it needs to be and as, as it should be, right? If we have companies that we think are ready for prime time engagement with various of our LP group, um, then we make that known. We have an annual meeting, which everyone attends. We get together with our LPs on a regular basis. Again, this isn't hundreds of LPs. This is a group of of three dozen or so entities. So we have that rapport where we know what they're looking for. We have a lot of co-investment amongst that group as well. We know where they're more apt to co-invest. We know for their assets, what they're looking for and when a commercial opportunity might be viable within our ecosystem. And let's look at two portfolio companies that we have. FIVO is a company that is in the mid stages of its development. Um, they built an extraordinary business over the past six years in helping brands uh, in the checkout process and basically provide this transactional opportunity uh, for their customer set. Virtually every single one of our LPs is a customer of FIVO's, hmm. right? Um, we have Mix Halo, the audio tech company that just did a live deployment two weeks ago in Seattle with T-Mobile and Major League Baseball. Major League Baseball, through their endowment, is an, is an LP in, in the fund. That's their first deployment with one of our LPs, right? So you have the Aglets and the MixHalos that are starting to get to that commercial viability within the LP group and are transacting with them and, and doing things that can benefit both parties, you have a company like FIVO that has virtually everyone in the LP group as, as a customer. And then you have everyone in between, right? So the opportunity to, to um, again, a rising tide lifts all boats. We are in this to make a lot of money for ourselves and for our LPs, right? We are in this to also provide learnings to these entities that own assets across this trillion-dollar-plus ecosystem, whether it's teams, buildings, media rights, uh, again, brands and merchandisers, Adidas, as an example, everyone is looking to solve similar things, which is how can I future-proof my business? How can I build a data-driven conduit, a digital conduit between me and my end user and my end customer? So that commonality across RLP group, I think, is extraordinarily helpful in terms of how we think about those interactions. But we, yeah, we get co- companies come from RLP from group. We're sending companies to them. In six years, I think the cadence has, has certainly taken hold, and we understand our entities very well and, and, and how we work with them.
0: All right. We started with Drake and Beyonce, and Eben, I apologize that you have to sit through my stories. This is kind of an apology that I make to my wife. You know, you've heard this, and some of our listeners have probably heard this, but I think we should end, Michael, If I don't know if you've heard this, with one of my favorite Simpsons episodes because it does predict everything, as we know. But there, do you know where I'm going, Michael, or do no? you not know this one? I can guess it's the mom and pop hardware but if, if for the listeners there's a there's an episode where grandpa's going into mom and pop hard I mean huge sign huge building giant sign mom and pop hardware and as he's entering the building, there's a little plaque to the right. They don't really call attention to it it's not in your face whatever but there's just and it's just appropriate I think to sport nowadays because the team itself is everybody's, oh, the public trust, oh, these are community assets, all that stuff that, they, that owners like to say. I think Josh said, I'm not the owner, I'm just the steward of the commanders. You know, it's really, I think he said that anyway, and I chuckle every time. But to the right, there was a little plaque. Remember, mom and pop hardware, giant, giant sign, and then it says, a division of Global Dominance, Inc. <laughs> I think that's where we are in the sport world. I think it is a wonderful, wonderful representation of where we are in sport these days.
2: Are you looking for my reaction to that?
0: <laughs> if you'd like to give it, you know, not 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 presented as a question, just presented as a presented statement. But if you'd like to uh, if you'd like to offer that up, that'd be wonderful.
2: Um, in some respects yes and in some respects no um we again are seeing the professionalization and we've used that term quite a bit here but you know with respect to 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 josh and other um individual or private equity or sovereign wealth oriented investors we 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 see that but we haven't seen a lot of corporations right i mean for the simpsons in particular it's more about the 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 making corporate of, of certain things we haven't had a lot of corporate ownership in sport right we, we haven't i mean if you go well, the nfl
0: and, particularly bars it because it didn't well, want well, yeah, the quarterly swings and, you know,
2: but cbs owning the yankees right yeah. or or turner owning the braves like we you, you don't really have that so so you know maybe there's there's something to it obviously the the um you know the how these build businesses are ultimately being run, I think might be the most informative part of it because to say that sport teams in the past, sporting entities in the past had been run like mom and pop organizations or hadn't um, necessarily been managed um, in, uh, uh, you know, in, in a more sort of, I don't know, industrial or, or professional or corporate, corporate type of a, type of a manner, When you start to see assets trading at five, six, seven, eight billion dollars, the professionalization, not just of the investment function, but also of how these businesses are run, I think, is something that that, that we should all look at. Right. And as investors, we're intricately interested in how the professionalization of management of the assets uh, um, individually can lead to opportunities for early stage technology companies. We're seeing uh, um, a lot more interest uh, across the clubs of of the major sports in the U.S. and globally to invest in software, to invest in AI, to invest in products that are going to help them run those businesses better, more efficiently, enhance revenue, uh, uh, um, better predict cost, and ultimately live up to those valuations that these, that these owners are, are, are investing at, right? So for us, you know, when we look at sort of that, that you know, that signage, I think it's more about how those assets are ultimately going to be operated and where the opportunities are for commercial deployments for the early stage companies that folks like us are investing in to work hand in hand with these organizations so that they can still be mom and pop in nature, but really, be managed from a from a professional uh, uh, oriented uh, uh, viewpoint.
0: I think I think we, we can close it there. And I also think that we violated one of my core tenets of podcast that I never wanted to go longer than I can run on a treadmill. But, <laughs> but but I think I would have probably fallen and been shot off, you know, and hit the wall. That that I think that's where we. Evan can run for like yeah, hundred miles, so yeah. that, that's how we balance. <laughs> Eben's on a run.
2: Evans on a run right now.
0: Yeah, exactly. Not even breathing heavy. He's yeah, he's an hour into this. You know, put he's on a, 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 a an incline he's of eight percent. treadmill,
2: a, treadmill yeah. podcast station. Love to see it. That's
0: what we should do. All right, Michael Spirito, partner Sapphire Sport. Thank you so much, my man. Good to see you guys.
1: All right, special thank you to Michael for joining us. He is Scott Soschnick on Twitter at Soschnick. I am Eben Novi Williams on Twitter at Novi underscore Williams. The show is produced by Keith Zanardi and Aaron Greenewald. Shout out to both of them. Sportico's digital media editor, Cora Veltman, would like you to know that you can download the show wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Sporticast, the hub of the Sportico Media Network.